Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I called everybody I know. That car is gone. Well, gone from me, but it's somewhere on the island. I have nowhere. I, I call the police. They wanted to know, does your wife have it? <laughs> no. All right. So I said that to say this. God can give you and God could take it away. So it doesn't really matter. I don't grieve that I don't have a car because I have enough cars. Nice cars. What I grieve is I don't have a car to loan to people. That's what really hurts. But God knows. If he wants him to have a car, he'll have you loan him your car. (laughs) The bottom line still is, we give to others because our heart is knit together in love for one another, but we don't own this stuff. It all belongs to the Lord. Now, you've got to stay with me because if you stopped on this right here, you will not have balanced teaching. And a lot of people want to end with this, and you cannot do this because it doesn't answer enough of the bigger questions. All right, so let's go a little bit back into the passage again. So it says here, they had all things in common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of stuff was happening. And then look in verse 35. It said, well, not verse 34. For there was not a needy person among them. Remember, basic needs. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them when it was needed and bring the proceeds of the sales. And now this is what you have to pay attention to. They did not give the proceeds of the sale to the needy people. Verse 35, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they, and let's change apostles for just to make it contemporary, the spiritual leaders' feet, and the spiritual leaders would distribute it to each as any had a need. Now, again, you can go crazy over this. There's ministries. You know the ones I'm thinking about. There's, there's even in existence today very wealthy pastors driving Bentleys and everything. They laid it at the apostles' feet. I preached in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana for uh, Promise Keepers Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday I, had to, I couldn't get a flight back, so they found a church. It was an African-American church. I never preached in one before. I, I'd, I'd love to preach in them because they're so, they just, they're in your message. Amen. Glory to God. You know, you just keep, want to preach forever. At the end of it, I'm, I'm done. So I sit down. That's the end of it. Then they said, no, 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 no. Brother Pons, you come on up here. And I came up here. I didn't know what they were going to do. They hung a smock on me. Uh, it's kind of like a coat, but it's thinner. And it had huge ca- Captain Kangaroo pockets from the top to the bottom. I've never experienced this before. Never. And I'm up there. with a, what's, What are they going to do now? Then they had all the people walk up and dump their money into these pockets. And then they took it off of me. And then they handed me that smock and said, this is for you ministering to us. We're going to minister to you. I thought, yeah, that's the way you do it. No, no. But that's not the way you do that. But that's where people stop here. You cannot stop here. People have needs. Yes, we're going to pray for them. But we have to do good for them. But how do we do that? We're knit together in love. Nothing we have belongs to us. It belongs to the Lord. But when a person has a need, we have to have some type of governor on it because some people that have, give it to anybody. So now we have to know who do we give it to? Someone that would have some bit of a spiritual leader. Now some of you are going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That just says apostles. So the apostles aren't here any longer. So what you're just saying doesn't fit. Stay with me. 
Okay, just stay with me. You'll see it. Okay, it says, give it to them as they had a particular need. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 11, we're seeing what is now known as progressive revelation. God continually builds upon the previous truth, new truth, until the word of God is closed. The canon is closed. And so until then, this is what's happening. I just told you about what was going on in the needy people of the Jerusalem church. Now the church has grown, and now they're into what we might call a more Gentile church in a place called Antioch. The church was in Antioch, so it was the Antioch church. Now some of you say, where is Antioch? California. I know there's an Antioch, California. I checked on that today. I've been there in Antioch. I may even preach that. I don't know where all the churches were I was speaking when I was with you guys. We have the mayor of Oakley. Oakley is the bedroom community of Antioch, or maybe it's the other way around. But anyway... Being that as it may, we're talking about the Antioch in the Bible. And if you want to know where it is today, it's in Turkey. And that was a new church. In fact, people today often will say that's the cradle of Christianity, Antioch. That's where Christians were first named. Christians is at Antioch. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to the passage. <clears throat> I want you to pick it up here um, at verse 27. It says, now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. That sounds kind of weird because Antioch is north of Jerusalem. So why would it say come down? Remember, Antioch was way up, or excuse me, Jerusalem was way up on a hill and it was common to say go down. Verse 28, and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would be certainly a great famine all over the world. And I guess we would say the known world at that time. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. So now if you want to go to your history books, you go back to Claudius, then you go back to what was going on historically. There was a huge famine all over the world, but particularly in the area of Israel, Judea here, in the reign of Claudius. So that tells you when it was. So this is an actual event. It's not a parable. Verse 29. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution. Let's go back to the word disciples. These would be people who chose to be fully devoted followers of Christ by faith alone. They trusted Christ. Now they're following Christ. It's not talking about the 12 disciples. It's talking about people like you and me who have come to a point, hopefully, that said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I will give it all up for your word right here. I'm a disciple. So those are people that were now growing in their maturity with the Lord and their knowledge of him. Now go back to the passage. It says here that they went to that place and they determined determined, decided, but more than a decision, determined comes with a, we decide now we're going to put feet on this thing, to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren, which notice again, not everybody who was in the famine, not to all the lost people that were in the famine, they said what we're going to do is take care of the Christians who were involved in the famine living in Judea. Now that sets with the passage in Galatians. Now go to verse 30. It says here, and this they did. Now here's the key. Sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul back to the apostles like we learned in chapter 4. But then they took it to the elders. These would be those that are spiritually qualified, spiritually approved, spiritually called to be the spiritual leaders at that time that are identified. Now that doesn't mean that the elders took it then and bought better chariots or they were getting better food. They then took it to properly distribute to those who had need. Now, here's what I don't have time to keep on with this whole train, but I will give you two passages. Look them up on your own. When you do scripture, it is a dangerous thing to grab one phrase, one verse, and build an entire heavy-duty theology. Yes, one verse alone is enough to know God's mind. I realize that. That I do know. However, when God is setting forth a huge paradigm shift 
It is called systematic theology for reasons. So he takes all these different verses and you're watching as the church is growing as things are happening. So I've already showed you what happened in the early church and then the Antioch church. Now what you need to know, the elders have this money. Now how in the world did they make a choice of who to give it to? Is it the first one in line? The first one that got hungry? Who, who got it first? I don't know exactly because there wasn't a lot of more verses on this, but there are two of them. One of them said this. If you are a family member and there is a widow in your family, it is your responsibility to take care of the widows, nobody else. You own that widow and her needs. So right away, that tell you if you had a widow that had a need, got a family, you don't give them anything. I don't care how much they're hungry. You deal with the family. You try to bring that together. Well, they don't like so-and-so. She's a bad widow, blah, 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 blah. Now you try to bring about reconciliation. There's a spiritual thing happening. And maybe a little bit of food while you're working through the process. There's a lot of times, and I think you'll believe this, the physical problems we have is only to drive us to a spiritual problem we might have had or at least to drive us to an area of spiritual growth because of the physical thing. So you got that. Now, if there is a widow and there is no family and that widow did good works and she's 60 years of age and older and she's on the list because she's been watched, it's not just someone who comes in the door one day and they get paid the next, then the church takes care of them. A literal widow in need. Read all about that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. The second one is found in 1 Thessalonians. It says, if you are not willing to work, then you are not to eat. So that means don't give it to the people who aren't going to work, willing to work. Now again, what we did not answer is another question. What about those who say they're willing to work and they really would work, but they don't have the mental ability because their brains are fried because of dope. Their bodies, by the way, their, their brains are pretty much gone, but because of all of that, their health is so shot because for so long they didn't do what they should do. So now they couldn't work. If they wanted to work, they can't work because their physical stuff can't do. I don't know. I, I, I think then, and this is again, I'm going to step into Ponzism here. I think we're always going to have the poor with us. And it's going to be a tough call sometimes. What do we do with those kind of people? I, I think let every man be fully persuaded in his own heart. But I think you have more to chew on now when someone has a need and what you can do. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now I have one more question, but this one is going to go quickly because it seems like this kind of list I'm about to give you now is probably the most preached on list or, or question that's answered on prayer than anything that I've given so far in this series. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're just going to kind of fill in some blanks. I gave you some addresses, and I want you to build your own uh, answers from this question. Here it is, folks. What will hinder our prayers from being answered? In other words, if I want to pray, what's going to hinder my prayers from being answered? I've taken this uh, partly from a book called R.A. Tories on how to pray. There's a lot of other material out there. Google it. Go to your own search. Just make sure that the person who writes it is theologically sound so you don't get a lot of junk in there. But I'm going to pick out five. First of all, when you have wrong motives or selfishness when you pray, why would the Lord ever want to answer your selfish request? I mean, you could ask for a genuine need, but you want it for a selfish reason. You want it to look good or whatever. That's wrong motive. James 4.3 says you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. Number two, sin. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? If you have sin in your life, why would you? If, you're if your kids are disobedient to you or my kids are disobedient to me, I mean, they're rebelling against me. Why would I ever want to give them something they want when they ask for it? That's crazy. 
Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, which means God can hear. He hears the prayers of the sinful people. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In the context, it would be so he will not hear. He can hear. He just chooses not to hear. So it's a choice he makes based on a choice we made first of sin. It hinders our prayers. Number three, idols in our hearts. This is a, it's a sin too. It seems like it all boils down to sin. But, but these are some sins that are kind of more identified. Idols in our heart. Now, what's an idol in your heart? An idol in your heart is anything that replaces God in your heart. I like to define it this way. It works for me. I know that that object is an idol when that object is removed and I have a big sense of loss in my heart. Because if I feel the loss, that means I needed that. We don't need any. We just need God. And all of our needs are going to be met in Him. Now, you can take that too far, but that could be an idol. Ezekiel says this, 14.3, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Here's the question the Lord asks. Should I be consulted by them at all? You know, why should they talk to me? Why do I want to listen to them? Why should we have this conversation? Idol in your heart. Number four. This is where the rubber really meets the road. Spousal disunity. That's another whole sermon. As, you know, why do we want to get on the same page with our mates? One big reason is because we have so many needs in our life that cannot get resolved apart from prayer. And prayer is going to be worthless if we don't get on the right page with our mate. And so, I mean, this thing is huge. This is like the beginning of a domino thing. Spousal disunity. It says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone who's weaker. And I don't mean weaker like she's kind of a little broken bird. It's more like a, when I use the word weaker, I would prefer to use this term. A delicate instrument. I think of you who are doctors or surgeons. When I look at a scalpel, a scalpel is, is not very big. It's very easy to be dulled and damaged. Okay? But it also is very strong because it has to cut through skin and, and sinew and muscle and these kinds of things as it's doing its incision. So it's a delicate instrument. It's tough and tender at the same time. But I don't want to drop it. Since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And finally, number six is unbelief. When we just don't believe. I mean, we could talk to God, but we just don't believe. James 1, 5, verse 7 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all wisdom, anyone who asks, generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. And we can really identify with that on this island. Driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he receive anything from the Lord. In your margin, I didn't put it there, but put Mark chapter 11, verse 24, and you can go there. Unbelief. I think this is a wonderful place for us to bring our series to a close right now because everything we said about praying for others, don't close up yet, just listen. Everything we said about praying for others is predicated upon a part that we believe. We believe that there is a God. 
We believe he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that whole concept of seeking is that communion of coming to the Lord, whether it's in prayer or we're recognizing his sovereignty and his love and all of that. There's that, that belief thing going on. We know that if we're not his child, then he's just a creator. So the lack, there's a, a lack of obligation from the Lord to answer a prayer of someone who's not his child. So we must place our faith in the one God tells us to so we can have a relationship with him. And the faith has got to be in the person of Christ as well as believing that he is God and that he did perform the completed work of salvation on the cross and that it's not by any works we do so we don't place our faith in ourselves, our belief system or even Christ and ourselves in a belief system. We have to place our faith alone in Christ. So everything begins and ends with belief. And we know this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to believe in him, it's simply taking God at his word. Last week, I talked about Martin Luther. Here's what he had to say about this, and we'll close. Martin Luther said, The first stone in prayer is confidence. He who would pray must first believe. However, this is not confidence in the right technique or the right phrase or gesture. Rather, we depend on the promises of God to look with favor on those who throw themselves, on the mercy of God and acknowledge the efficacy of the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for their redemption. Luther went on to say this, If I did not know that our prayer would be heard, the devil may pray in my stead. The Lord is great and high, and therefore he wants great things to be sought from him. And he is willing to bestow them so that his almighty power might be shown forth. And then now I'm going to read one of his prayers. Dear Lord, I know that you have still more. You have much more than you can ever bestow. In you I shall never want. For if there were need, the heavens would rain dollars. But my treasury, my cellar, my storehouse... In you, I have all riches. If I have you, I have enough. Do you have him? Let's pray. This is a time for every one of us uh, to be alone with the Lord. And so I said, let's pray. But really, we're going to pray in a moment. Right now, we're just, your head is bowed, your eyes closed. My My eyes are closed. I want to prepare my heart for prayer. So we'll pray, but in just a few moments. Did God speak to you today through his word? We talked about belief. Do you believe that there is a God? Do you believe that he's revealed himself primarily through the word of God? Do you believe that he wants you to have an eternal relationship With him, his son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, the deity? Would you believe that your works will not get you into heaven, social or religious? Would you believe that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ? Would you believe that? But that's your intellectual truth that you now embrace. But now will you totally depend upon Jesus Christ? That's the finish of the whole whole saving faith issue, placing your faith now alone in Christ. Would you do that? 
And if you do that, I want you to know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him his way. When Jesus said, he that believes on me has everlasting life. When you trust in Christ alone, that's his way. And without that faith in him, you won't please him. He is so pleased because you're in his forever family. He's your heavenly daddy. You're his son. All that he's given to his son, Jesus Christ, he's given to you. And Jesus and God are one. If that's the case, I too would like to pray for you. Now, when I pray for you, I'm not going to pray you into heaven. I can't. That's a thing that's between you and God. When you trust in Christ, you, do, you and him deal with all that. I'm just welcoming you into God's forever family. I'm just praying in a, a rejoicing fashion as a believer in Christ that now has a new brother or sister. And I'm just thanking God for you that you're now in our forever family. That doesn't mean joining the church and all this stuff. That's something later on. But right, you're trusting Christ. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like for me to pray for you? I'd like to pray for you, but I won't know unless you let me know. Now, you can do that on the card, that little communication card in your worship folder. Just fill that out. Or you could raise your hand without saying a word. I'll say thank you or God bless you. Put your hand down. It's over with. You're not going to come forward. I'm not going to mention your name out loud. I'm just going to pray for you as one who raised their hand in a public service. But is there anyone in here today that's ready to believe in Christ? And your first, so to speak, prayer, and it's not even much of a prayer, it's a communication with God, is, Lord, I call upon you to be my Savior now. And I thank you that my sins are paid for. I thank you that I have eternal life. Is there anyone in here today by an uplifted hand will silently indicate to me that you're trusting Christ and today is the day you're doing the believing? Would you put your hand up right now? Never done it before. You're doing it right now. Would you put your hand up? Anyone else? Okay, Christians. Now you have some requests that you could give to your friends. I know some need health, some need jobs, some need healed, broken relationships. But would you put at the top of your request list boldness, opportunities to share, clarity? Would you do that? And some of you moving to the social action would you now begin to realize that there are Christians that have definite needs and if they have a need, what are we willing to, to, to sacrifice for? When these people sold their house, can you imagine what straits they were in when they did that? Their lands, when they did that? Here, when someone has a need, we kind of check to see if I have a little bit of spare change in some account somewhere and we kind of drop it in. So your question is, is my heart knit together with the brotherhood of Christ? Do I realize everything I have doesn't belong to me but belongs to him and that opportunities are coming my way to meet the needs and I'm willing to give. And when your spiritual leadership helps you by defining what or who needs it, you'll trust the Lord to work through them. And if not, and you find someone that you would like to give to, you might seek someone spiritual in your life to just give you a little guidance, to just kind of give you a little check Make sure it's all right. Make sure you've done it according to the, the book, the Bible. God will speak to you through the word. And then check your motives when you go to the Lord in prayer. Wrong motives, sin, idols in our hearts. Those kinds of things that really hinder us. Disunity in our marital relationships. And of course, always unbelief. Is your heart prepared now for prayer? We went to the mind, now to the heart. Now let's go to our hands.
Lord, we lift up our hands and our hearts to you now. And our hands are going up, first of all, with praise for a great God and Savior who paid our sin debt and would welcome us with sins forgiven into your forever family. So, Lord, we, we hold them up to you like a child seeing our daddy and saying, we love you because you're the Lord God Almighty. Our palms are up to you because, Lord, we know whatever we have has got to come from you. And so, Lord, fill our hands with whatever you want us to have. We will use it for your glory. We will give it generously and cheerfully. Let us know that, Father, that as we do this, we're building up the brotherhood, but we're also helping the destitute. And Lord, I thank you for this church. Help us to be a church known for our devotion to you, demonstrated in our devotion to pray for others. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.